Hollywood Middle School. It is so great to be with you. I'm Wyatt, and for those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I am so excited to get to kick off Love Month with you right now. We're going to talk about love, sex, sexuality, and I want you to brace yourselves because we are talking about sex today. And every time I say the word sex in front of any group of students, you can count on it 100% of the time. Everybody just starts to giggle, look at each other. I just want to invite you right now, wherever you are, just say the word sex. Let's get it out of our system a little bit. It it is so weird to hear people talk about sex in public out loud, and that's what we're going to do. But we have to get past that because this is a very, very important topic and one that the Bible has all kinds of things to say about because God created sex and he created it to be good. He created us as sexual beings, and so it's not something that we need to keep secrets or whisper about. It's something that we actually get to uh, enjoy talking about and digging into what it means that God created us as sexual beings. And so as we kick off Love Month, uh, we're going to look at a passage in the book of 1 Thessalonians and see just three simple things that God has to say about sex and sexuality. And and I, I hope that it will be a blessing to you as you just start to think biblically. What does it mean for me as a follower of Jesus to honor him? with my sexuality. And so with that thought in mind, let's read the passage together right now. And this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 3 and read all the way through verse 8. It says this, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust, like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this manner, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. What do you think about sex? If you, if you went to a friend, somebody at school, when you're back in school, uh, and you just started asking, okay, what do you believe to be true about sex? Now, one, that would be the weirdest question anybody's ever heard in the halls at school, but let's just imagine that that was set aside, that you were doing that. And what do you think most people walk around the halls of school thinking about sex? How important is sex to a happy and fulfilled life? Like, what boundaries around sex are there and should there be? You know, when you think about what the Bible says about sex, is that too restrictive? Is it, is it archaic? I mean, what do you think people actually think and where do you think they're getting that information? I think of every TV show, every movie, you look at social media, magazines, like there's the way the world talks about sex. I think so often it's described as this just kind of unbridled good thing. Like sex is just good for you. If you're able to have sex, you should do it because it's awesome. It's great. It's going to make your life better. And when you think about the people who are trying to put restrictions around sex, like who you can have sex with, whether different kinds of sexual relationships are good or bad, like that's kind of the the Christians who don't think you should have fun and, you know, they have their strict ideas. But really the secret is that sex is just this great and awesome thing. And, And as we get ready to unpack what God has to say about sex. I want us to notice this. Uh, Sex is a good thing. And actually, when you think about what the Bible has to say, what God has to say about sex, he has a much higher view of sex than the world does. It is 
It is a great thing. There can be much joy in, in expressing your sexuality, but it is actually much more than that. It is a core thing of who you are. It's a core way that God gave you the ability to have an intimate oneness relationship with another human being. And it, because it is so important, so amazing, so powerful, God cares a lot about how you use it because that power means that it also can be misused. It can be a force for great good or great damage. And so we want to pay attention to what God has to say. We're going to look at three things. Here's the first one. It's this. It's that sex matters because it's connected to your relationship with Jesus. The reason why sex is actually so important is because when you think about being a follower of Jesus, having a relationship with God, sex is deeply connected to that. How you treat your sexuality will affect your relationship with God. Look at verse 3 one more time. It says this in this passage, It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Right? What does that word sanctify mean? It means to become holy. God's will for you, what he wants for your life, is to know him and enjoy him. He wants you to walk with Jesus and become more like Jesus. Right? This is what it means to follow him, to be sanctified. And to do that, verse 3 says, you should avoid sexual immorality. There is no way to thrive as a follower of Jesus, as a human being, to experience all that God has for you in the world, there's no way to do that while also ignoring what God has created in us with sexuality and what it means. Like, if you want to know God and be close with him, you have to pay attention to what he says about sex. And when we talk about sexual immorality, I wonder what comes to mind for you. I think so often we think about you know, maybe having sex with somebody you shouldn't be having sex with, right? The Bible says that sex is, is designed for the context of marriage, a lifelong oneness relationship with another human being, where sex is created to be experienced in the context of commitment and trust and, and this oneness, lifelong relationship. So one thing we talk about when we're talking about what sexual immorality is, is having sex outside of that context. And that is one thing, but this word sexual immorality, in the Greek, the word is porneia, and it refers to so much more than that. It, it refers not just to your actions, physically having sexual relationships with other people, but it refers to your mind. It refers to your emotion. It is the, the wholeness of your sexuality, and that word porneia refers to using it in a way that is not honoring to God. And so I want you to pay attention to what Jesus has to say about sex, where he says it's so much more than just physical actions. He says this in Matthew 5, 28. He says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says, look, first, this is a heart issue, right? Not an action issue. Uh, and he says, because of that, even when you just lust after someone, even when you're just imagining something inappropriate sexually, even that is sexual immorality. And it's not because God is just so strict, he doesn't want you to have any fun. It's because God knows that even that is something that is not going to lead to life for you. It's something that's going to lead to brokenness. Okay, but sex is good, right? This passage is saying that sexual immorality is bad. But don't forget that God created sex. Think about that for a second. It's 
his idea. He invented it. God didn't have to make us as sexual beings. He didn't have to make male and female. Uh, And yet he did. He created sexuality and he is a big fan of it. It is very good because God made it and everything God makes is good. But he cares tremendously about sexual immorality because of the power that it has to destroy you. That's what I mean when I say God's view of sex is so much bigger than ours. God knows that sexuality is such a powerful force for human beings that it has not only the great ability to be amazing, but the great ability to destroy, to to bring shame and guilt and brokenness, to mess up your relationships with other people, to mess up your relationship with yourself and the way you view yourself, to mess up your relationship with God. Like, sex is powerful. And so God says, you need to be so careful to actually use this the way that I made it to be used. I want you to pay attention to what we see in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Listen to this. It says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. What does that mean? All other sins are outside the body. Sexual sin, you sin against your own body. I think that what Paul is getting at there is this idea that your sexuality is so intimately personal. It's such a deep part of who you are as a human being. That when you disregard God, when you, when you go your own way in sexuality, when you pursue things that you ought not to be pursuing with your sexuality, it's not just something that happens outside of yourself that you can separate yourself from. No, it actually ends up corrupting your own self-image, the, the very essence of who you think you are. And you, no doubt, maybe have experienced this yourself as you have struggled with sexual temptation. There is such a, such a measure of shame and guilt around sex because it is such a deeply personal thing, and that's why God cares so much about it. I experienced this for the first time when I was not too much different age than you are. Uh, I went to middle school at King's High School, which is a Christian private school here. And man, I, I was pretty naive to the, the world that I lived in. I, I hadn't struggled with sexuality or sexual temptation much by that point in, in middle school. And yet, you know, I'm I'm in middle school. I'm going through puberty. Things are changing. And I just remember this moment where I was in my computer class at school and with no intention whatsoever, with, I can honestly say, with a clear conscience, no desire to see anything inappropriate. As I was in this computer class at King's, the Christian school, and I'm doing some Google searches for an assignment that I'm doing, I accidentally come across a photo of a naked woman in Google image search that I did not look for, did not want to see. And yet, that image had this strange power over me that I didn't understand. And and that day, it marked a turning point for me where suddenly I had, for the first time, this sexual desire that I was struggling with that, that was leading me to try to find things to look at that I knew that I shouldn't be looking for. And I had this tension between what I knew God wanted for me and what my inner desires were searching for. And it led me down a long rabbit hole for, for many years where I struggled with pornography. 
And look, this is kind of one of those taboo things that we're not supposed to talk about, but it's so important that we own this because this is true for so many people. It's not that you wanted to pursue sexual immorality, but there is this aspect of living in a fallen world with desires and temptations where this is all around us and we have to wrestle with what it means to follow Jesus. Here's the thing that we're getting at though. It's that, right, sexual, our sexual nature, our sexual desires, it is intimately tied with who we are as a person and it affects our relationship with Jesus, right? When I was in those years as a teenager of secretly struggling with pornography, something happened for me. I went from being the kind of person who loved being at church, who loved reading my Bible, who loved to pray. I was excited about my relationship with Jesus. That's who I was before. But as I was secretly pursuing this thing with my sexuality that I knew was wrong, those desires went away. I didn't want to be with God anymore. I didn't want to be around God's people because I knew that God knew what I was doing and wanted something better for me. That that to be honest with him, to be quiet before him, it meant owning the truth of my sin and I didn't want to do that so I shut him out. It affected every area of my life. Right? I was hiding things from my parents. So now I had a secret from them and that hurt our relationship. I was hiding things from the, the friends I had at church and it, and it affected those relationships in addition to my relationship with God. like This is why sexuality is so important is because it affects every aspect of your life. And, and so here is the question for us to wrestle with. It's do you want to thrive as a human being? Do you want to be whole and be the person God made you to be? Do you want to love being around God's people, being in relationship with him? Do you want to come to him in prayer and just enjoy his presence? If that's what you want, then you need to take this aspect, sexuality, this aspect of your life seriously because it has huge ramifications for all those things. Let's look at the second thing we're going to see in this passage is this. Sexual self-control not sexual fulfillment is what leads to life. Okay, look at verses four and five once again. It says this, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And right here, 2,000 years ago, Paul is describing two different ways of thinking about sexuality that exist even today in our culture all around us. And they're this, one, one way of thinking is the way of Jesus, who says that actually life is found in relationship with God, submitting to him, and that requires that you control the desires of your body and that you don't allow them to drive you to do things that are not honoring to God and not good for you. That's one way of thinking about sexuality. The other is in passionate lust. And what this is getting at is that actually the way to life is to fulfill your sexual desires, not to control them and use them for what Jesus says, but actually just to find ways to gratify your sexual desires that you're better off if you can express your sexuality. And this is the way of thinking of the world all around us, right? The only constraints that the world wants to put on your sexuality is consent, right? It's wrong to do things sexually with anybody else who does not consent to do those things with you. Uh, And yet that is so like the consent bar is so low that it opens up the door to all kinds of things sexually that are just not going to be good for you. And let me just pause here. Consent is 
obviously a part of what it means to honor Jesus with your sexuality. It's not less than that, right? No follower of Jesus should ever be pressuring someone else into doing anything sexually. That is completely the opposite of loving your neighbor as yourself. So that, that's obvious. And yet what Jesus is going to say is like, look, okay, consent, fine. But even with two consenting people, there are all kinds of things sexually that are going to cause damage, that are going to cause guilt, shame, broken relationships. To honor God with your sexuality and to thrive as a sexual being, it actually means submitting your sexuality to the Lord and putting it as a lower priority than your relationship with him. And here is that the truth about the idea of controlling your body. Did you notice that phrase? It's interesting. It acknowledges that you are going to have sexual temptation, right? Your body is going to produce chemicals and desires and longings for things that are not good for you. That is just a reality of the world. It's a reality in all kinds of things and maybe in eating and anger and all kinds of stuff, but certainly in your sexuality, your body is going to make you want things that you should not pursue. And Jesus is saying, look, the, the secret to honoring God with your sexuality and thriving as a sexual being is to recognize that and then to get in the fight, to not let your body control what you do, but to understand that your body's desires are not the key thing in driving what is good or not good about sexuality. This is so important, even as we think about Jesus himself. I mean, I want to ask you this question. Maybe you've never thought about it before. Did Jesus face sexual temptation? Did Jesus, as he was living as a human man on earth, did he have any sexual desires? The answer is obviously yes. Every human being has sexual desires. That's part of what it means to be a healthy human adult. Any person who has a healthy body past puberty has sexual desires. And yet we know that that does not mean that you don't honor God, right? Jesus was faithful in temptation. He did not sin, even though he had a human physical body that created temptation. And Jesus gives us the portrait of what life with God really looks like, of what it means to be a whole, happy, and satisfied human being. It's not to fulfill your sexual desires, it is to control them and not let them do anything that's going to take you away from God. Look at Hebrews 4.13 with me. This is where we know for a fact that Jesus did face temptation. It says this, for we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, every way that includes sexuality, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Okay, so that's great news, by the way, for us. Uh, that that the, the, the way to life, to thrive as a follower of Jesus, does not mean shutting down all sexual desires, does not mean not ever being tempted. That is a bar that nobody can reach. It does mean, however, deciding to follow Jesus even when you face temptation. And Jesus says that's actually where you're going to find true life, the way that God actually made you to live. And here's the, the last thing we're going to see from this text. It's that sex is relational, and so you need to think outside of yourself. By nature, sex is something that is designed to be in a relationship between human beings, and so it affects relationships. There is nothing that you can do sexually that does not have effects 
on other people. And you're like, well, hang on. Like, I, you know, certainly my, my thought life doesn't affect other people or things that I would do just on my own that nobody else knows about. That can't affect other people, but you're wrong because you are created with a sexual capacity, a nature that's designed to be used in a relationship with another person, potentially, if you get married. And so even the things that you do on your own, they affect you and affect your ability to be in a healthy sexual relationship one day with your spouse. Right? Think about even pornography, which people want to believe affects nobody else, right? It's just a computer screen or a TV screen in you. But, but think about the fact even here that the demand for pornography, the reason why pornography exists is because people want to consume it. And that system that is created because of that is the reason why countless young women, countless people are giving their lives to this kind of thing, are, are living degrading lives, producing this kind of material. And when you decide that you're going to be somebody who consumes that, you are a part of the reason it exists for them. There is nothing you can do with your sexuality that does not affect other people. And we see this in verse six in our passage where it says this, and in this matter, in, in, in the matter of our sexuality, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. As a follower of Jesus, we know we're created to love God and to love other people. And what Paul's saying here is like, look, you have to understand that how you handle your sexuality, it affects others in a tremendous way. And so if we're gonna follow Jesus, we can't be people who take advantage of another, who do things selfishly that cause damage around us, but rather we need to love our brothers and sisters as ourselves and honor them whether it's your future spouse, whether it's the, the people on the television screen that you're tempted to, to be looking at and, and consuming that content, whether it is the person you're in a relationship with that you're not married with and, and you have to think about their future, their marriage, their relationship with others. I mean, we have to think about the people outside of ourselves and realize that it is our responsibility as a follower of Jesus to love them put their needs ahead of our own and not do anything that would harm or take advantage of them. You know, we've gotten a lot in this text and, and I know that maybe you haven't heard uh, Christians talk about this much, but, but likely where you have, you have felt some sense of shaming, of guilt, uh, of this description that there's a way to be uh, regarding your sexuality and that if you don't live up to that, that you don't belong at church. And this is where I just, we have to close by remembering the gospel together, right? The gospel is not that there's a group of good people and a group of bad people and God loves the good people. That's not it. That message is not from God. It is not in the Bible. It is not what Jesus came to show us. Now, the gospel is this. It is that we have all fallen short. We are all sinful. None of us have lived up to the standard that God's given us. And yet, despite that, while we are God's enemies, he came and died for us so that we can be forgiven, so that we can have relationship with him, so that we can begin again to thrive as his sons and daughters. And so wherever you are right now, if you know that you've made mistakes in this area, if you're dealing with the shame of knowing that there's things about your life that nobody else knows, and if they knew they wouldn't see you the same way, if you 
have any kind of thought that, that you can't have a relationship with God or you can't be a part of God's family here because of the mistakes that you have made with your sexuality, I want you to banish that thought from your mind right now because the hope of the gospel is this. No matter what you've done, no matter what secrets you have, you are not too far gone from God that you cannot receive the, the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He came to take our sin off of our shoulders and give us new life. And that is exactly what he did when he died on the cross in our place and rose again to offer us life with God. And, and that's where I want us to, to, to sit as we close this message. Yes, there's a high calling with our sexuality. Yes, we need to take it seriously. Yes, we need to honor God with our bodies. And yet, at the same time, the grace of Jesus is enough to cover any sin. And you are, if you're not walking with him right now, the only thing keeping you from him is your willingness to place your faith in Jesus and receive grace, mercy, and forgiveness. You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to fix anything. You don't have to hide anything from, from the church, from your brothers and sisters in Christ. None of that. The cross takes care of everything, and God wants you in relationship with him. I'm going to close with a prayer in just one second after I read you 1 John 1, 9, this amazing truth that, that all of us need and in this area of our life more than many other places. It says this, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the truth for every single human being. If you are walking with Jesus, if you believe in him, when you confess sin, God is always faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I just invite you not to struggle alone. If there's something going on in your life, may I find a leader, text somebody right now, talk to somebody who you know loves you and loves Jesus and say, hey, I'm struggling and I haven't wanted to tell anybody. I've been ashamed of this and yet I want the life that God offers me and I want you to help me walk through this. There are so many people who would love to be that for you. That's what the church is for. And so let's, let's keep that in mind as we pray and close this message. God, thank you for the truth of scripture. Thank you that you're good, that your word is good, that the, the, the guidelines, the rules, the teaching you give us is for us to thrive. And so I pray that we would trust you in that. And Lord, I pray that wherever we have failed, and we all have, that, that we would have the courage to be honest with you, honest with others, to have just great appreciation of the goodness that you have shown us at the cross, that we would be free of shame and guilt and knowing that you delight in calling us sons and daughters for any of us who have placed our faith in Jesus. And God, we want to honor you with every aspect of our life. Please help us to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.